So hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A, where your questions and votes, of course, drive everything that we do. Please do use the Slido link in the chat to vote up the questions that you would most like answered, and of course, to add some of your own as well. Level Up, well, we're live on Mondays at 8 and Fridays at 2 p.m. UK time. Live stream to both YouTube, of course, and onto the LinkedIn platform. And you can find out a lot more about what we do by visiting our website, which is apmginternational.com. So today we're going to be talking about protection, all right? Protecting your family, yourself, your business from cybercrime. And uh, it's actually with a group of specialists who are helping very large numbers of individuals, teams, and organizations do exactly just that. So let's jump in straight away and meet our panel who are waiting for your questions. We'll welcome um, everybody back. Uh, Melanie Oldham OBE is the founder and CEO over at Bob's Business and the catalyst behind several community-driven projects, including UKC3 and the Yorkshire Cybersecurity Cluster. So welcome back, Melanie. Great to see you. Lovely. Thanks. Nice to see you this morning, Nick, and everybody else. Really looking forward to this topic today. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, joining Melanie from Singapore is Sabajit. Sabajit Bose is the owner and the MD over at Cyber Services. Of course, this kind of shows your bread and butter, um, Sabajit. He's a strong contributor as well to the cybersecurity community in Southeast Asia. Welcome back, Sabajit. Thank you, Nick, and welcome to Level Up Team. And thank you for having me today. And surely it's my bread and butter. And I'm going to top it up with some jam today. <laughs> thank you. Very good. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Zane Javed is uh, the CTO and co-founder of Mitigate Cyber. And he's a board member, actually, of the Northwest Cybersecurity Cluster. So he's in the UK, if you're not too sure of the geography. Uh, Zane's on the left-hand side of the Pennines and Melanie's on the right-hand side of the Pennines representing Lancashire. So um, we've got a balanced panel, I think it's fair to say, uh, with both of them actually appearing on the show. Um, so welcome, Zane. Great to see you. Hi, Nick. Thank you, everyone. Yes, uh, it should be a really good uh, event today. Um, yeah, all, all industry colleagues here. So uh, yeah, it should be fun. All right. Okay. We won't talk about cricket, but we'll we'll keep on we'll keep on cybersecurity. <laughs> okay. Very good. Uh, Mark Rovers is the trainer and, of course, president over at Interprom, whose business has a strong heritage in all aspects of cyber and information security and adoption of best practices and so on. Welcome back, Mark. Lovely to see you. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a great pleasure to be on this distinguished panel. And um, just speaking of the panel, I think I have a panel buddy now. Anytime I'm on, Sarbajit is, is on as well. So, hi, Sir Sarbajit. Good to see you again. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a good point, actually. Yeah, we should we should look at that. Yeah, you guys do tend to appear on them. Um... Uh, a number of episodes together, so that's really lovely. Etienne Chardlow rejoins today. He's a senior consultant, of course, over at Symphonize Consulting in South Africa. He's working tirelessly to help organizations build and protect their digital assets. So welcome back, Etienne. Lovely to see you. Yeah, it's good to be back. And yeah, as Mark said, you know, a few familiar faces on the panel today. I think I'm familiar with everyone. So it's nice to be here. All right, excellent. Now, to everybody who's watching online, thank you for joining us. Don't be shy, please. Uh, just introduce yourselves in the chat and um, get those questions in so that we can put them in front of the panel. Uh, doing that for us today is Sachitra Jacob. Uh, she's joining us from Bangalore in India. She's our question master. Um, welcome, Sachitra. And please, may we have our first question. Hi, 
<clears throat> Hi everyone. And the first question is from Peter Page. What are the top five cyber crimes? Okay, Sabajit, why don't you start us off with this one? Hi, um, thank you, Peter, for this question. Now, this has many aspects to it. Now, when we say top five, so we are looking at from the organization corporate perspective or people perspective, because it impacts from both sides, or sometimes even from the economic perspective in terms of the economic value. In general, we have seen that uh, phishing attacks has been rampant over the last couple of years, whether it's Singapore or anywhere. If you look at anything in Google, we'll see phishing has gone up, and that uh, impacts both people and the organization because it is a people hack, but data is collected to later impact the organization. So it is always that people who are the weakest link that gets bashed. So we have to be concerned about that one. And I think there will be others who want to speak and talk about more on other things. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Zane. And then Mart. I'll, I'll jump in because I'm on the screen. Um, yeah, so we've we've got um, quite a few different, obviously, uh, items uh, on, on this list, depending on who you speak to. But one of the the most common one is uh, password reuse, because uh, simply you have lots of third party data breaches, and the most obvious way for cyber criminals to get hold of your accounts is simply take the uh, credentials that you have online and you pretty much reuse this across all of the other accounts of our well-known uh, websites on the internet. Um, so that's why you see a lot of organizations as well as individuals and their social media accounts getting hacked because of old uh, uh, passwords. So don't use the same password everywhere, always have a, a unique password to defend against uh, something like that and enable two-factor authentication. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more, I think, about that idea of, you know, multi-factor authentication in a little while, I think. But thank you very much for starting us off. Thank you very much, Zane. Um, Mart and then Melanie. Uh, definitely phishing, indeed, and, uh, you know, the password protection, data breach, confidential information uh, protection. Uh, I'd say uh, number three would be um, cyber extortion, ransom, ransom attacks, you know, cyber crim criminals holding you ransom for uh, financial purposes, typically. Definitely uh, number three in my on my list. Yeah, thank you very much. There's been some very high profile ransomware, you know, kind of attacks in the past, hasn't there, that, you know, have got into the news and, you know, people have followed that story along and um, does seem to be something which is quite prolific. Um, Melanie, your thoughts <laughs> before we hear from Etienne? Yeah, so ransomware has been the top of the attacks for the, sort of the last three years and accounting for sort of 21% of threats last year. Server access being sort of the second, um, and that was sort of, you know, probably about 10, I think 10, 10 to 15% last year. But how do people get there? So it's, it's that human element that uh, was touched on. So through phishing emails, which obviously was the most most common form of attack to organizations at 41% sort of last year, and then vulnerability exploitation. So how people have got into the network goes back to Zane's point about poor access control. So, you know, what are people doing with poor passwords and poor, you know, 
for um, user account management. So of which, you know, human error is still argued to be 95% of the reason. So you've kind of got what is the attack, which is your, your ransomware, your phishing, your server access. But how do they get there? They get there through, through human exploitation, which is the most common. So pulling that all together. And obviously, because of COVID and us moving to more cloud services, access transparency and who has access is far greater. So, you know, our tax services are a lot larger. From, from my yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good point to make that these, these behaviours generally, you know, weaken weaken the uh, uh, weaken the defence um, and provide an opportunity then for exploitation. And uh, Etienne, your final thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I think all the big ones are covered, but we still face uh, denial of service attacks. So there's still the, especially as businesses as companies, we still have we still have that issue with. Um, denial of service and hacking attacks. Um, but the big ones have already been covered. Phishing is is, is a big one. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people I know whose Instagram accounts have, have been hacked recently. So social media accounts, identity theft, those are those are the big ones. So I think we've covered all the, all the big five now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things um, from my perspective um, uh, is just thinking about, you know, kind of putting those behaviors together with the um, with uh, uh, the resulting you know, kind of criminal behavior. They're out there all of the time. These people are out there all of the time, you know, trying to look and search for vulnerabilities in, in, our, in the way in which we work. And of course, you know, human beings are creatures of habit. So, you know, generally we, we have patterns in our lives. It's what makes us operate the way in which we do. We don't have to think about things. And so we build up these patterns more and more and more. And then, um, you know, unscrupulous people can exploit those patterns um, all of the time. So, um, so excellent. Thank you very much indeed, panel. Uh, a great um, uh, start to the event today. Let's move on to Chitra, if we may, and we'll take our next question. Question from Jim in the UK. We are a team of 20 staff and worried about cybercrime. Where do I start? Hey, Melanie, start us off on this one, please. Yeah, so with small teams, it's really good because as the, before those teams expand, it's really good to have good communication so they make sure everybody's talking on the, sort of the same level. So, you know, my first point of all is get everybody together and talk about what do people perceive as the risks, both individual risks, but also team-related risks. Um, and as I say, with a small number, it's easy to influence and change that culture and be, make sure that you have a really, really positive uh, communication. So letting people know that it's okay to make mistakes, that we all sort of Occasionally, you know, in terms of email compromise, we might not always use um, the BCC and CC field. So talking about that, what, what, what impact it can have on the reputation of the organization. Uh, but try and get into a habit of being a culture where you're educating and talking about cybersecurity in every meeting possible. So making sure that it's at the heart of all discussions. So whenever you talk about them, just having it as a line item to talk about any potential risks or opportunity to talk about how to improve security, but also to talk about how individually we're accountable for, for the data that we process because sometimes it's, it's not considered the cybersecurity in their day-to-day -day role. So just having those really, really casual conversations but add it to a line item to every single meeting and just open up those conversations would be my sort of key, key pointers there. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really strong approach, actually, because um, I'll give you a, a worked example for us. You know, we had a conversation recently about um, how can we invite 
um, uh, folks outside of our organization to a Microsoft Teams meeting. And um, somebody was using the web version of Microsoft Teams through Office 365, and that gave them an option to hide the email addresses of participants, whereas the actual installed client version didn't offer that option. So we kind of just picked that up and it was a casual kind of comment. Oh, no, no, I know how to do that. How do you do that then? Well, you go to the web client and you do it there. And then it's like, ah, and that you know little moment. And suddenly now the whole organization is <laughs> able to use that instead of having to go through the pain of you know sending things out in different ways. So it's a really really strong point you know to get people together and to add it into the conversations in your existing meetings. And um, Sabajit, your thoughts, please, and then we'll hear from Zane. Yeah, thank you, Melanie, for that. Yes, it's a and uh, for him, it's a for you twenty people. It's like an extended family. So the good thing is you can all come together and talk about all the pain points. And when people come and they agree on something and then they want to, you know, have more uh, buy-in and uh, you have a better chance to change their behavior. So it's how we behave. And I would, uh, I would believe that instead of a cyber crime and using the terms like, training and something awareness or not let's talk about cyber hygiene what we did over the last two years of improving our physical hygiene against corona virus or covid and now let us also do that the hygiene of practicing a better hygiene against cyber crime so we can be safe because it can be you and i who might be the next victim so if all of us have a part to play, and let us all do it together, if we have that unison among us, then I think it will be a better thing, and all of your team members will be a warrior, and not you alone. Absolutely, Thank absolutely. Thank you very much indeed. Zane, then Etienne. Yeah, thanks for that question, Jim. Really, really good one. And just to expand on uh, Melanie and Serbajit's uh, point there, um, one of the things I always suggest is uh, start from the very beginning is, you know, understand exactly what you're protecting. So have a look at and uh, question what are your crown jewels. Um, only then you can actually defend what's important to your organization or even to individuals. And once you figure that out, um, you then put that into your uh, company business objectives uh, and make sure it's aligned. Um, and then you can go in, look at what the guidance available. Um, so like Servicheet said, cyber hygiene is so important. Um, so depending on which part of the world you're in, there's some great government advice out there. Here in the UK, um, we have uh, the NCSC, the National Cyber Security Centre. So they have like a 10-step to cyber security. There's also a scheme as well called Cyber Essentials, uh, which helps you get on that cybersecurity ladder and you really look at the basics to get that right. It's really good advice, actually, to talk to wherever you are in the world, have a look for your national guidance. You know, all of it is 
Actually, it's hauntingly familiar. If you look at the different countries' national cybersecurity centre sites, they all talk about the common themes. Of course, you know, of course they would do, and um, but they also provide you know local support, and we'll talk about that a little bit more um, in, in the next few minutes. Um, thank you very much indeed, Zane. Some great points there. Um, Etienne, your thoughts, please, before we hear from Mart. Yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of wrapping up this question, I think we're just summarizing what people have said before. So yeah, um, I like Zane's point about focusing on the right stuff. We often tend to spend a lot of time and effort trying to secure stuff that doesn't really matter to us. So focus on securing the important stuff. So identify the stuff that matters to you most. And that isn't necessarily physical stuff or access to accounts. It could be your brand and your reputation. So you know, focus on the stuff that matters most. And then, you know, as, you know, as everyone has said so far, Melanie, CyberJets, it really is about creating a culture of, of security. Um, so, yeah, and this is where having a small team of 20 people is so much easier. You know, trying to change a large corporate culture is a lot more difficult. So when you've got a small team, it's easy to build that, you know, that kind of culture of security into that, into that small team. So. Good luck with your journey on cybersecurity. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Etienne. Mart? I'll keep it uh, short uh, and simple. Um, there are enough free self-assessments out there. I'll recommend one later. Um, just to self-assess your cyber uh, hygiene, so to speak. And uh, those typically also tell you where your gaps are, if, uh, you, know, uh, you know, meeting uh, if you're not able to answer any of these questions, as in, no, we're not doing that, usually they focus on the bare minimum things you should be doing. So look for a uh, self-assessment online. And um, typically, you know, one that's free, uh, where you don't have to worry about your, uh, your, your data that is being out there. Um, so try that and then uh, make that a start for your journey and see where the gaps are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Melanie, you wanted to add something. Yeah, it was just something to consider as well, because people tend to think of, of standards like ISO 27001 as being a bit of a beast that's an overkill for a small organisation. But we went through it when we were a really, really small team. And if I'm honest, we did it because we wanted to be seen as a secure provider and to practice what we preach. But it's so much easier to implement the policies and do that continual change programme really, really early on before the infrastructure in the organisation gets so much larger. And, you know, it seems like a beast, but if it's just something that you pick up and just add to and then sort of get accountability and ownership from different members of the team. It sort of improves your resilience in terms of uh, supplier management, staffing management, HR, business continuity. So if anything happened to your small business, then it could have a really, really significant detrimental effect. So there's certain things that you're thinking through that were benefits that weren't necessarily sold to me when I sort of looked at onboarding and taking part. And the other thing I would sort of say is think about elements of health competition. When teams are small, people are a little bit competitive in there. So think about elements of gamification. So we looked at sort of cybersecurity escape rooms, things that allow people to bond, but talk about a subject in a in an environment that's that's slightly removed from day-to-day -day operations where you tend to have so many distractions. Yeah, that's a really good idea. The one thing that I would suggest, so thank you very much indeed, Melanie. One thing I would suggest for you is that you're just at that 
stage, aren't you? 20 people, you're starting to develop roles and responsibilities where people do different things. Okay. When you're a tiny team of three or four, most people do pretty much everything. And as you grow a little bit more, then you need to think about, you know, those roles and responsibilities. So not everybody needs access to all of the information that you hold. Um, so that's just one thought for you to consider there. And secondly, um, really have a look, have a good hard look at your retirement policy around data. So how long do you retain that data for? Why do you need to retain it for that length of time? And really think about retiring some of it, because once you're beyond the transactional use of that data, it's good practice. And in fact, it's often the law in many countries now that you do not you know, hold on to it. And the more stuff that you hold on to and the more widely you share it amongst your team, actually the more risk that you're carrying. So just a couple of thoughts there. Does everybody need access to everything? And can you retire some of that data once you're done with it? All right. Very good. Thank you very much indeed, panel. Um, Suchitra, some great questions so far, and I can see lots of folks now watching us online. So thank you for joining us. If you do have a question, please do just type it into the chat and we'll pick it up and bring it straight into the panel. Next question, please, Suchitra. Question from Rajiv. Are governments doing enough to provide the tools we need to combat cybercrime? Dane, why don't you start us off with this, then we'll hear from Sarbajit next. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I do think they do provide us with some great tools. So um, NCSC, like I mentioned before, CISA in America, they bring out some great material, threat intelligence and advice. Um, so if you follow them on Twitter and all the social media channels, you will get the news out to you quite quickly. Um, however, I do think that they're not marketing it enough. So you do have um, the social media channels, but there are lots of other guidance available that not many people are aware of. So unless you know you're from the security world, you know who to follow and you know who to go to for advice. Um, but on a wider uh, scale of things, uh, I don't think people know about what's available to them uh, as much as they should do. Uh, but overall, the, there are some fantastic materials. Uh, it's just how do we all help get it out there to the masses? Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sabajit, your thoughts, please. And uh, then Melanie. Hey, Rajiv. Uh, very good question. Governments are doing enough or not? Now, it depends from country to country, the objective of the government and the nation. So if the nation is more on, um, you know, information based, so like Singapore, we are, we do not have any other natural resource but our people so we rely on our people and data information is the key so we do have a quite a strong government policy and procedure we have government entities who do that now there are other countries other economies in the world who also have similar like uk has um so the us and many other countries across the globe they do have similar standards and you know uh frameworks that helps so we can use them. I mean, if your government is not providing, you can make use of these things. And the first thing, as I said earlier, is try something to improve your hygiene. And if you do that, then I think you will be helping your people to stay safe. Okay, thank you very much indeed. I guess um, there's challenges all around the world with this. Um, Etienne, what are your thoughts in terms of the provision of government leadership in not just in South Africa, but in the wider African region? 
Um, <laughs> I think it needs to be a lot stronger. Um, there is a very strong focus in South Africa at the moment on privacy. So there's lots of there's lots of implementation around privacy at the moment. So that's a big focus, and it's it's obviously helping a lot because you know privacy is one aspect of cybersecurity, an aspect of information security. But I do think there needs to be a, a broader focus, um, yeah, and and you know f- focusing on wider aspects of cybersecurity. So yes, privacy is is a big one um, in South Africa at the moment, and it is something that is is kind of spreading through the continent. So. You'll find a lot of these, a lot of these trends tend to kind of spread out from Nigeria and South Africa and kind of spread through the continent that way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Melanie. What are your thoughts on this? So there's a lot happening, but it's it's quite a big beast, and we know that. So from obviously from the UK perspective, the National Cybersecurity Centre is doing a lot to to try and ensure that from their own supply chains and and everything that's happening procurement to government, the people getting there's a very basic the cyber essentials and cyber essential you know qualifications before they can actually procure them in government but also from an outreach and communication point of view uh, both myself and Zane obviously represent uh, clusters throughout the whole of the UK and it's about how do we get and support uh, cyber security companies throughout the whole of the UK and try and get messages across and that's supported by the work that's also funded by government which is the business resilience centers so you know there's lots of work and lots of activity and then also looking at how you know cyber security is a relatively new profession how we're getting that education into schools so government investing in things like the cyber first program and trying to educate people so that it's actually you know <laughs> there is a default so there's there's lots happening there's still a lot more to do but you've got to understand it's a relatively new industry and profession so there's always more that can be done uh, but on the whole there's lots of money being invested into these areas absolutely thank you very much indeed um mart what about north america and the the focus over there is government doing enough is doing government doing enough i mean that's a really loaded question to think about right is it <laughs> is it enough i mean it can always be more um that's the that's the problem right we're still chasing these uh, criminals so to speak um you know often on the defense instead of the offense although uh things are getting better um is it enough? Um, can be done more? I think, you know, the large organizations definitely are tuned into what the government is recommending or what's out there, you know, for them to benefit from. I think when you get into the smaller organizations, the awareness is often not there. Are there specific government go- programs to target them? Um, not so much. I think that uh, more can be done in that space uh, to raise awareness and, um, you know, also protect the smaller organizations. Um, not uh, let alone the individuals, right? Um, so enough. I don't. I don't think it's enough. Uh, but it's 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 uh, good news is that it's becoming more and more and more, and people are becoming more and more aware. Uh, people are more aware of you know cyber security and uh, cyber crime than they have ever been in the past. So there, the trend is definitely there, as in, in the right direction. But there's more to be done. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I think it's a tricky balance for government, you know, I, I would say, is because on 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 the one hand, you know, what you're trying to do is provide, 
you know, citizens with a, a safe place to live, a safe place to work and uh, conduct business and so on. And uh, at the same time, um, you want to be able to equip law enforcement with the ability to combat cybercrime when it actually happens. In other words, you know, to investigate it and to uh, hold those people to account for whatever it is that they have done. Okay, so on the criminal end of the spectrum, there's some really good work going on in the UK through the... Um, a team of the City of London Police and other police forces around the country in really beginning you know, to focus and work and connect with these clusters uh, in the civilian world to work together to um, ensure that uh, investigations are carried out and that you know, the root causes of these, um, uh, of these crimes are actually surfaced and things done about them. But I think it is always a balance between the privacy of people. <laughs> I don't really want you know, government to be overly strong in, uh, in being able to look at every aspect of, you know, of our business life or, or indeed our, our personal lives. So it's a kind of balance to be struck by you know, providing the right framework if you like. Talking about frameworks, Melanie, the NTSC in the UK, this National Cyber Security Centre in the UK is maturing now and, you know, is starting to release more and more information. Um, uh, what are the most recent updates um, that they've been providing? Yeah, so in February of this year, they released their new cybersecurity strategy, next five year strategy, and in there is some real clear sort of objectives as to what they're trying to achieve in five pillars, looking at ecosystems. So that's part of the work that we do as clusters. To, so how do we strengthen it? How do we do more innovation in cybersecurity? So how do we support those cybersecurity companies that are really help, going to help protect us? And then looking at it from a sort of a, a national perspective as to how do we protect our national infrastructure? How do we counter uh, you know, international crime. So there's there's lots of things. It's a really good starting block. I think if you were to look at the national cybersecurity strategy and work out, you know, from whether it's from an individual perspective or a business perspective, which elements are closest to line to you, it's a really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, completely agree with that. It's certainly one of the natures, isn't it, about cybercrime is that it is international. It doesn't respect, it's no respect uh, of borders or anything like that. And yet it's quite interesting that the vast majority of governments around the world have taken a wholly nationalistic view. Totally. You know, every national cybersecurity centre around the world is a little bit different to every other one. And I would argue they have far more in common than they do in terms of differences. Okay, let's move on. Um, Suchitra, uh, let's take our next question, please. Question from Peter. What is ISO IEC 27032? Okay, I'm going to hand this off straight away. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one for knowing all of the numbers. So Sabajit and then Mart. Yeah, Peter, this is a very good question. Not many people know about it. It is about the lead cybersecurity manager from ISO standard and uh, because I'm one of the certified trainers, uh, so I am aware of it. And this is also in line with the European NIS 2.0, cyber risk management. So they have something similar there. And also for NIST in US, uh, in the NIST, uh, they have this uh, cybersecurity framework. So that is the implementation of that. So this is actually to help some the organization to use a framework and then very methodically uh, implement the cyber risk management, the cyber threat management, and then cyber risk resiliency, cyber risk protection, and all such things to be built up 
to have the governance on that and also the operational capabilities need to be built up there so this is a um, this is a basically a certification so organizations can have their cybersecurity lead or the leadership team be trained and certified so they can do a proper implementation thank you so Very mark much indeed um mark just uh, 27.032 is indeed uh, one of the uh, uh, documents in the 27001 series of uh, standards from the ISO organization. And obviously, this one focuses specifically on um, cybersecurity. Uh, it's um, something that complements you know, uh, organizations that are already uh, into uh, 27001 and are uh, looking for uh, specific additional guidance on cybersecurity as in you know, which controls should we uh, have in place uh, in addition to the controls that we already have in place for uh, information security. Um, so it targets um, specifically information security, network security, internet security, and uh, protection from uh, uh, of the information infrastructure. So as I said, it has additional controls. And I'm thinking of controls for applications, servers, end users, um, controls against social engineering, and it even talks about cybersecurity uh, readiness. So it's, uh, as I said, it's uh, one of the documents specifically focused all on cybersecurity. And like Sarbjit said, it's one of those uh, that a uh, few people know about. Um, it's definitely worthwhile if this is your priority, um, just to have a uh, document that gives you all the guidance that you need uh, to get cybersecurity going in your organization. It's, uh, it's an easy read. It's about um, you know, 50, uh, 35 pages. It may seem a lot, but uh, still, it's all focused on getting you familiar with what is cybersecurity and getting cybersecurity going in your organization. So definitely worthwhile to, uh, to, to check that one out. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Now we've got a number of folks who regularly contribute actually to the development of standards around the world. So it's always worthwhile, you know, kind of getting in, in touch with them if you're following that story on the evolution. Um, the standards themselves, of course, rely on everybody, you know, putting in some effort and joining in and sharing, you know, their thinking and, and all of that it then ultimately gets distilled and things get updated. So thank you very much indeed, panel. Um, let's move on to Chitra, please, and we'll take our next question. We have a question from Etienne, our panelist. I recently traveled with roaming and two-factor authentication by SMS became a problem. Does the panel have advice on two FA apps? Okay. All right. Zane, um, your thoughts. Start us off on this one. Yeah, good Good question, actually, because uh, <laughs> I think we've all been in that situation before, so I did a uh, good one. Um, so, I mean, the, the issue is is um, not always rely on one form of two-factor authentication. So if you do have access to an app which generates the code, um, that's usually a, a good shout. I think more um, web application or software development companies are looking at sort of magic links through uh, emails, uh, which we know has a, uh, its, its own problems uh, as well. Uh, but it's the idea is that you couple, um, bring together a few different solutions. And if I um, remember correctly, if you do have two-factor authentication and the setup of it, you will be provided with uh, a backup code. Um, so some uh, aid uh, development companies build that in so that if you do forget 
uh, your uh, device or something happens to it, you, you break your phone, etc., uh, or you're traveling, then you can use that um, backup code. Um, but obviously, biometrics is another good shout as well. So that, that's all another good way. Overall, I think more needs to be done on this particular scenario because just recently when we were doing a, a penetration test, um, we found that uh, Microsoft 365, which a lot of organizations use, um, support legacy protocols, so older protocols. So even though companies have two-factor authentication enabled, because they have the legacy protocols enabled as well, it allowed our testers to simply bypass two-factor authentication altogether and still brute force their accounts and gain access. Um, so, yeah, it's great having these technologies, but having the knowledge to configure them per- correctly and having that backup plan is also really important. So, yeah, thanks for highlighting mm. that. Excellent advice. We need to retire some of these things. Don't just keep adding technology. Actually, retire some of them, some of it as well. Uh, Melody, um, are you a fan of using an app rather than relying on a one-off SMS? Absolutely, yeah. So I think I worked it out. I've sort of got fourteen different two uh, FA accounts in my uh, authenticator app. So it's it's quite a lot, but also making sure that you have them on multiple devices as well. Because I have been in the issue where I've literally gone and taken my device overseas, and then I've you know for some reason or another it's lost or misplaced, and then it's okay. How do I get onto these accounts? So you know my advice is always take a couple of pieces of kit. So thinking about taking a tablet and a mobile device and making sure that you've got you know the ability as, as Zane touched on to authenticate through 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 those devices if they're on a similar platform or alternatively using that authenticator app. But uh, one that I hadn't realised in a lot of the authenticator apps is the opportunity to export them, so you're not having to basically put them all in again because that in itself is a real headache and don't ever go down the virtual sim route is my advice because you can't actually physically get a virtual sim without going into a store to get it activated so <laughs> lessons have taught me that that's a bigger bigger headache than it needs to be so <laughs> okay all right very good um etienne so uh you know what 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 are your thoughts now having lived the uh the horror of uh, presumably <laughs> well, in the last 30 seconds you were you were waiting for that sms and then suddenly realizing oh drat you know can't do it yeah and i i, I was traveling without roaming activated so i tried to activate roaming remotely um ah. and it didn't work <laughs> so um it said that it had worked, but it didn't. I didn't get any SMSs while I was away. And and so I made the plan while I was overseas to to install a two-factor authentication app. And for some, I was able to activate it without being connected. With other with other solutions, there was just no way. And, and it, it frightened me that I was actually able to allow for this two-factor two-factor authentication app to authenticate me without two-factor authentication you know, first, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've become aware of some of the, some of the, the kind of gaps and the, some of the holes in, in, in implementing these things. Um, but, yes, I, I have now become a fan of, the, of an app. And I also realize the importance of having the application installed on both a laptop and maybe a phone so you've got a backup in case um you've always got the the you know there are um other 
yeah, other backups where you can you can um, save some authentication codes that you can use in emergencies. Um, you can have on pieces of paper, but yeah, that comes with its own risks. So yeah, we still have to be thank careful. You, yeah, thank you very much indeed. Plan ahead is the right thing to do there, I guess. Um, Sabaja, anything else to add from your perspective? Um, I've got something to show you, everyone. If you can see this device. So we this can. is a Fido device, and this is uh, all the experts are saying this is the way to go for the future. It is kind of passwordless. So wherever you are, you can authenticate by either from the USB-C or even it can be, you know, from RFID, so it can be Bluetooth or something touch, and you can get your authentication done. So this doesn't need even two factors, single factor should be good. So this is something for good for travelers who are traveling and you switching between different devices. So I, I know the, the pain when your two-factor authentication you set up is not working because you're traveling or something changed. And uh, I, I lost one of my phones. I mean, not lost, it's crashed. And then I had a similar problem uh, last month. So I understand uh, what you went through, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I use a very similar um, kind of thing, an encrypted uh, key, USB-C key, and they're very simple and straightforward. And they, you can add them. Obviously, they're designed. They're, they're tiny, so they're designed to be kind of on your house keys. Um, like all of these things, I, I think the challenge is we don't we don't set out to be in an awkward situation. <laughs> it just kind of arrives, you know. So nobody until we're there. Plans. Yeah, exactly. And it's only when you're in it that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, whilst I've been kind of planning ahead a great deal, um, getting hold of those you know, hardware keys and so on, which is super useful, by the way, um, I, I've also I've also done the, situ done the thing where I upgraded my phone and I traded in my old phone. So I, I was a good citizen. I went through, I deleted all of the information. I reset the operating system on the old phone and I sent it away only to realize three days later and three weeks later, actually, on some of the apps, oh, drat, I should have transferred. <laughs> I should have transferred <laughs> the authentication beforehand. Oh, what a dope. And because I don't change my phone every three months, it just kind of happens, you know, so you need to kind of think. So there we go. All right. Very good. Um, excellent. Um, thank you very much indeed, uh, uh, everybody. Let's move on and we'll go to the next question if we can. Question from Matt in Sydney. Password versus passphrase. Which is best to maintain security? Okay. Let's go bish, bash, bosh with this super fast, please, panel. Uh, Melanie first and then Sabajit, then Etienne. So, yeah, to me, for your primary account, something that's memorable. So if the passphrase is more memorable to you, but just make sure it's secure in the same way you'd have your password secure so that it has a mixture of characters, letters uh, and, and numbers. Um, but then use password manager as my advice and then randomly generate the form. Um, you know, with 200 and, you know, just shy of 300 passwords, there's no way I could have individual passphrases for everything. I'd, I'd tie myself in knots. So make sure you're, you know, you're one, your default, you're one, your access to your email, which in essence resets all the others. That has to have two-factor authentication. It has to be memorable and it has to be something that's really secure. So a mix of a passphrase with some, you know, that's going to be really memorable. 
That would be my advice. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Sarpajit? Yes, passphrase is always better than a password. Um, one of it, it is bigger, and then you can play with a lot of the alphabets and uh, replace them with digits and characters and things like that. So I would be using Mary had a little M, but after today, Melanie, can I use Melanie had a little M and change some of the alphabets in there? And then I have a lot of different combinations of this uh, little M that I carry with me. I had two. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And um, for anybody watching this after the after the event, right? Subset is um is 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 always full of humour. So yeah. Okay. Um, Etienne, and then Zane, please. Yeah, I think we all know Subject takes security far too seriously to be giving his passphrase out on YouTube. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, passphrase <laughs> is always better than a password, but. Um, uh, 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 a password um, generator, password manager, even better way to go. So use a passphrase rather than a password for your primary account with your uh, generator app, and then use a password manager. Um, so you can have completely randomized passwords that are just almost impossible to guess. Yeah, great advice. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Zane, anything to add? Yes, I think most of it is all covered there, but uh, be specific on the, even the passphrase because I know some organizations or individuals, they would use um, still use let me in, which is a really um, kind of a well-known password on all of the top password lists. Um, so in a similar way, um, Mary Had a Little Lamb would be on one of those lists as well because it's well-known, common, so common uh, quotes, uh, common um, song names, lyrics, etc. They all get put into this dictionary file, and it just goes through this tool uh, which brute forces your password. So um, definitely, you know, use combinations of both, um, mix in with uh, <coughs> different characters, etc. Um, if you can create completely random, so if you're as paranoid as myself, um, and you would just make something really generic and some really random, uh, but use a password manager so you don't forget, uh, it will make your life a lot easier. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's it's very, very difficult to you know, manage our modern lives. And um, uh, I think looking at the panel, as probably one of the oldest people actually on the panel today, I would say it does actually get more tricky the older that you get. Okay, um, because often you end up having multiple accounts which are similar or multiple personas. You know, you might have a, a personal kind of Google um, profile and you might have a business Google profile. So it's no longer the case that we have one of everything. Okay, we quite often have multiples of very similar things, if not the same thing. And managing all of that is really, really tricky and there is real help available so that you can use a meaningful passphrase to be able to access one of those services that generate truly randomized passwords on your behalf, which is fantastic. Really, really great. Thank you very much indeed, panel, and a really good uh, question, uh, Matt. So thank you for asking it. Um, let's move on to Chitra, if we can. I think we've got time for maybe one or two more questions. Question from Sarah Doha. My account was hacked due to a third-party data breach. How can I stop this from happening again? All right. Well, that's a really good question, Sarah. Um, uh, Zane, 
what are your thoughts on this? How can she uh, manage and mitigate, um, no pun intended, um, against that happening in the future? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good. One. I think we covered a few few of the uh, recommended advice uh, over the course of the session today. So I'll definitely just reiterate that uh, you know use two factor authentication. Um, that's a must. Uh, password reuse, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, is the most common way. So it feels like that's exactly what's happened to to Sarah in this uh, instance. Um, so using uh, multi factor authentication, um, as well as signing up to uh, those kind of websites which monitor third-party data breaches. I think it's a must nowadays. So there's a lot of uh, um, apps that you can get. Uh, there's haveibeenpwned.com, which is a well-known website um, that you can sign up to, um, as various uh, other uh, services that we consume nowadays through banks and other um, uh, businesses that we interact with. They normally provide this free of charge nowadays. So as long as you utilize that, so you're aware of these data breaches in advance, so you can change your passwords, uh, but also, uh, I think MFA is must for that particular reason. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Melanie? Yeah, so just to reiterate, have I been phoned let you see if any of your accounts have been compromised? But look in the security settings of your of your, your main um, sort of email provider as well, because I know that Google and Microsoft have security facilities that allow you to go in and check your passwords, and they will tell you if your passwords are weak or if they've been compromised as well. So just go through the basic security settings that are in your in your email accounts, and it gives you really, really good advice. But yeah, don't reuse your passwords and make sure you enable two-factor authentication, which will uh, alleviate that, but just you know, be mindful of it. And the moment that you understand that your account has been compromised, go in and change that password. That's you know the default recommendation go in and change it and make sure that none of your other passwords are the same you know mixture of username and, and details excellent thank you very much um one um thing just to help with that this might sound uh, a little morbid uh, but it is something that's really worthwhile doing for your family and um, i was recently updating my uh, my will actually and in doing so, one of the things that the solicitors send out now are um, an asset register for the physical assets that you have, but also now a digital um, asset register, which is all about the accounts that you have online and these kinds of things. And um, it is really to help families and, and, and so on cope you know, afterwards with um, uh, managing to understand what your digital presence actually was and, you know, and, and managing all of that. So it's a really good idea um, to do that and to share that in the same way that you, know, that you would be doing you know, the, uh, the information about other aspects of your life. Um, so we'll put that web address, thank you very much panel, um, into the chat for everybody who's watching online um, so that uh, you can look up yourself and, uh, and see whether or not your accounts have been compromised or on these lists um, that have been available um, on the dark web and so on. So let's move on. We'll take our last question for the panel now, please, uh, Suchitra. Question from John. It has been said that awareness is a good first line of defense. What training or awareness programs would the panel recommend? Okay. Um, I think everybody's going to have some thoughts on this. Sabajit, mm -hmm. let's start uh, with you, please, and then we'll hear from Melanie. Hi, um, John. Very, very valid question. What to start and where to start from? So as we talked about earlier, start from what pains you most. Check those assets which are your private assets or organization assets that 
you really matter. And then see what are the threats, and then you can find out what could be the risk, and you start with training or making people aware of that, to build that cyber hygiene. Now, we do not need to bring them to a classroom and bombard them with one full day or two days or something of, you know, a lot of theories. That doesn't stick to their mind. What happens is give them small, short video clips or uh, 15 minutes max or maybe even lesser, 10 minutes of small, you know, interactive something and do it on a regular basis so they can build up their cyber hygiene and along with it, you can also have something for the senior management who needs to know why they need to be more conscious and why they need to spend more on the cybersecurity. And as well, train your partners and your customers what they need to do. And regarding also for your customers and others about the data privacy. So data privacy is very important, paramount, because that is something if compromised can can make the company a lot of loss. So I think to start at these points, you know, the cyber hygiene, the data privacy hygiene will be the good thing to go with and then, uh, you know, find your way. What is the next thing to move on? Very much. Thank you, Sampajit. Uh, Melanie and then Zane. Yeah, so it'd be remiss of me not to talk about obviously the products and solutions that we have at Bob's Business. But one of the things to really, really think about initially is what are you doing in terms of assessment? Are you looking at human vulnerability assessments? Because it's such a broad topic. It's, you know, it's endless. It can go on for ages. So think about it as a bit of a journey. What are your high risk areas? What do you need to do first? So do a little bit of an assessment first to find out what your biggest risks are. Make sure that you you include communication in all of that. You know, Sajid, um, mentioned about having micro not about having micro learning so little and often it's how we learn don't bombard people and make it part of every everyday learning so making sure you're doing things little often and involving communication which is what we started at mentioned at the start and making sure that you're assessing that so there's a difference between uh, awareness and training so you can give people the content but how can they put that in the context of what they're doing in day-to-day -day operations so having an element of simulated fishing exercises that are relatable to the communications that they receive, receive and being able to test that but making sure that when you're feeding back on that learning and those testing that you're actually doing it in a really really positive way because as humans you know we know that actually if you name and shame it's not a great way of getting people on board what you need to sort of say in your comms piece is around you know 65 percent of you didn't click on link that's great how do we get the rest of us aboard and think what are our human nature what is it that makes us do things and it's about that you know working in collaboration having positive communication and doing it little and often because information overload would just absolutely sort of ruin your campaign and making sure that it's really relatable and then assessing you know what have you achieved what are you setting out to achieve how how are you going along that journey it's, it's a long journey and just making a start because the reality is that you still have 65 percent of organizations that aren't doing anything that's huge and it's it's the main point is is doing something is better than doing nothing. yeah i completely agree with that thank you very much indeed um, melanie zane and then mart yeah, so really good points there already covered, but just to kind of expand on that and again, shamelessly plugging in our services. Um, so we've, one of the things that I think we, we feel is quite important is aligning the training with your policies and procedures as well. So it's great, um, you know, to go get the 
training programs that are out there, but you've got to really build the awareness program that is suited to your organization and to your needs. Um, so the training program that you create needs to align with what you do and also making sure that your employees or uh, individuals taking that uh, session uh, really covers the key objectives and you can uh, demonstrate that in a good audit trail. Uh, and also, uh, you know, combining with instructor-led training as well. So having the, the five-minute um, videos or 10-minute uh, uh, courses, again, it's all great. Um, but, you know, mix it up with maybe an hour session or half an hour session uh, at some point in the year um, and at different levels as well. Getting the board involved is so important um, because if the management don't have that buy-in, if you don't get the buy-in from the top, um, your organization's culture uh, is, is going to come to a complete stop. So making sure everyone's on board um, and uh, yeah, you have a good program that's tailored to your organization. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on this? Uh, just quickly, two things. One is um, I've taught many courses uh, at the locations, customer locations, and then the class always started with uh, somebody you know, taking the stage and saying, oh, I need to say something about safety, right? Safety is a big thing for the organization, so they said something about safety. Why not mimic that and say, all right, let's start the day with something around security, right? To continuously send that message of... Um, Hey, security is important, and this is what we can do about it. The other thing is um, simulation type. Um, I, I was uh, made aware once of uh, business relationship managers actually raising a, a cybersecurity in an organization, where they, and this was not a hospital, where they simulated a cyber attack through the hospital. And then they had um, a group of uh, top managers respond to it, and a group of, let's say, you know, workers, so to speak, responding to it appeared that the workers you know were responding much better than the top managers so it was kind of an embarrassing thing of course mimicking um you know cyber attack patients you know tweeting hey all the screens are black here i mean the word is out right um raised awareness uh, tremendously and of course uh cyber security became a top priority for top management so another way of um raising awareness thank you very much indeed um etienne final thoughts on this yeah, so as a training provider, I can't, yeah, I can't say, yeah, no training. But yeah, I think training is important for the people who are security officers, privacy officers, people with responsibilities that, you know, um, for the organization's security. But everyone in the organization has a role to play in security, and that's where awareness and you know the these less formal approaches um, to security awareness and security training can play a role. So a little bit of both. Okay. All right. Thank you very much indeed, um, everybody. That's excellent. A um, couple of other thoughts uh, just to add there. Firstly, don't forget the role of um, the senior leadership team in any organization. I think it's good to demonstrate our own vulnerabilities um, internally, do engage with them and ask them to share what works well for them and what doesn't work so well. Um, uh, I think that is really, really important um, so that everybody is in this together. Everybody faces these risks, you know, and um, often the more senior the person in the organization, the more likely it is that they will have their account being spoofed and, you know, shared around the company, all this kind of thing. 
um, you know, requests for being paid and this kind of stuff, you know, is starting to, you know, become prolific in some organizations just because senior people are more accessible and their rebounds addresses are often available online and these kinds of things. So be aware of all of that and get them on board. Well, excellent. Well, look, thank you very much indeed, um, panel. It's been a really interesting, fascinating, actually, journey through the worlds of um, cybercrime and how do we protect ourselves and our colleagues and our families as well. So let's hear your closing remarks, um, if we may. Melanie, we'll come to you first and then Sarvajit. Yeah, so just in summary, I think we've we covered it and think about what are the, the main risks, what are the biggest threats to you. So if you're looking at ransomware, you're looking at phishing, you're looking at password credentials backing up, make sure you're really doing the basics. Understand that it's, you know, it's a journey. Doing something is better than nothing. So make sure you are doing events, you are having those conversations as a board and as individual teams. So stick it on the agenda item, do something and just make sure that you're aware of those those risks and do the, the basics around patching and patch management, good password management and communication. They're my sort of three focuses for you. All right. Thank you very much indeed. So appreciate then, Mark. Hi. Um since this episode is about how to protect against, I would say password, and I would say passwords are like underwears. Do not let people see them, do not, but change it very often, and you shouldn't share it with them. <laughs> I've got a whole new visual in my mind. Okay, thank you very much, you did subject. It's great advice actually there. Mart and then Zane. Uh, just quickly, I um, promised earlier uh, to make you aware of a free uh, cybersecurity self-assessment. It's literally the link with some dashes between the words. Um, to uh, go there, answer 20 questions, takes you 20 minutes, and within 24 hours, you get a 25-page improvement. So it's worthwhile to see uh, where you're at with your cybersecurity practices. Hey, thank you very much indeed, Mart. Um, we'll have a look at that and uh, uh, see how that feels a little bit later on. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Zane and then Etienne. Yeah, it's been a, a really good session, actually, with great questions as well. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to you know look up uh, all of the things that we discussed today, uh, get involved uh, in the community. If you can, sign up to uh, all the clusters uh, uh, and kind of newsletters and social media accounts. Uh, of your government uh, advice pages, because uh, that's the only way to keep it in the know-how because the technology is just evolving at a rapid space, uh, pace. Um, so it's always good to to keep in touch uh, with uh, what's going on. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Etienne? Yeah, I think um, cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. So yeah, we all need to play our part, whether it's private security, whether it is business security, we all need to be aware of the threats that are out there. And I think um, do yeah, do what you can. Um, we can't all do everything. So as Melanie said just now, you know, small steps, security is a journey and it's something that is ongoing. So uh, there's always new threats. So it's, it really is about you know, doing, you know, taking small steps daily to keep up. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Sachitra, closing thoughts? It's been a great show, and thank you to all the panelists and our audience for uh, the live engagement. And uh, like Etienne mentioned, I think we're just taking steps, small steps daily to protect ourselves. 
Excellent. I totally agree with that. Thank you very much indeed, panel. Now, um, for everybody who's watching online over on our website, you can now search for and view the answers to more than 800 questions um, on apmginternational.com forward slash level up, an amazing free resource that connects you with 100 plus experts from all over the world. And don't forget that you can listen to the show on the audio versions on your preferred podcast platform. Now then, later on today, you can join the APMG Connect team as they took a deep dive into the NIST cybersecurity framework. That's at 3 p.m. UK time and uh, 10 a.m. over on the east coast of the States. Um, We're back this Friday at 2 when we'll be talking about how to become a project manager. And then the following Monday, we take a little break for the early May public holidays around the world. And we're returning again on Friday the 6th of uh, May to focus on how to become a change manager. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and how you can join us here on the panel and of course level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much everybody. We'll see you next time.